Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Morning, everyone. Evolutionary.org Hardcore Podcast coming your way. Episode 141. We're doing the second Big Rami episode. Steve Smee here and the Mops. How you doing out there, buddy? Nice and dry. Ready to rock and roll. The gyms are open. Yay. Mops to get some rest. <laughs> gyms are reopening, guys. Yep, absolutely. So no excuses for getting back into the weight room. Here's a guy who's definitely putting a lot of hours in the gym. We're going to talk about Big Rami, reigning Mr. Olympia champion. You guys can check out our last podcast we did on him. That was episode 123. And in that one, we talked about his life, how he got to Mr. Olympia, his, his ups, his downs. And this one, we're going to focus more about his steroid use. Most of the podcast is going to be about his steroid use, what he's been using. We're going to talk about all kinds of little tricks that he used to get to where he was. So this is going to be a fun one. So let's start off with his history a little bit and like kind of rehash a little bit. So he's an Egyptian professional bodybuilder. He lives in Kuwait. Now, why does he live in Kuwait now? Kuwait, that part of the Middle East has become a hub for bodybuilding. A lot of bodybuilders like to go there. It's a very, there's a very body, uh, bodybuilding centric community there. The food is legendary uh the bodybuilding food is legendary the gyms you got the dubai area um some of the best gyms in the world so a lot of these bodybuilders from the middle east like to settle down over there they like to network with all the bodybuilders we see americans a lot headed over got that go over there um to train they spend a week or two weeks there they hang out they eat the food they lift um, the steroid use over there is rampant. Um, guys, it's, it's not even a taboo like it is in other parts of the world. So that's a very popular place for a lot of these Middle Eastern Arab, Arab guys. And that's what he, that's helped him kind of expand on his thing. And let me tell you something, since his Mr. Olympia win, Mr. Olympia is the biggest bodybuilding award you can get since his body. Uh, bodybuilding win in the Middle East, going back to Egypt. He has been such a celebrity. He's like the rock. Like when he goes in public, people are like, oh, can I have your autograph? Can I take a picture with you? People love this guy. He's a hero all over the Middle East for what he did winning the Mr. Olympia. Something I'll just interrupt, Steve, is that uh, what, what we don't always understand in Europe and, and America is how male-centric uh, the Arab world is, and in fact, the Pumping Iron movie, and specifically the Pumping Iron book, addressed this, where they had uh, shots in the book, which you can still find online, of, of some of the top pros of the day going to Arabia, Saudi Arabia, and being absolutely surrounded by the guys in, in their Arab outfits, in the dijabs, etc. And uh, I'm thinking of an American guy that used to put on competitions and involved in the Mr. Olympia back in the day as a promoter, been given some fantastic trophy. So the male-centric society appreciates these athletes. You've also got, of course, things like Formula One and other sports going there because of the money, because of the facilities and facilities, as Steve has touched upon in, in, in Saudi and pretty much everywhere in the Middle East, if you've got a gym there, it is tip top. It is American kit. It's, I mean, the, the oxygen gyms are famous and the main one, I believe is five floors, Steve, with pretty much it's like four or 500 pieces of equipment. So if you're a bodybuilder and you just want to visit, Steve said, it's amazing. But if you are a sponsored athlete, if the Arab guys have got you right, we want you to come over, we will pay you, then you spend three to six months of your year there. And they pretty much put, do everything. And that includes the PEDs. Uh, everything is sorted. The food is sorted. The training is sorted. The coach is sorted. It is for a guy that wants to get to that level, an absolute dream, Steve. Back to you. So since his Mr. Olympia win, 
we did the podcast about a week or two after that. And since then, you know, we've noticed he hasn't been doing much on his social media. His Instagram seems like um, he basically he's posting picture here and there, but it hasn't been that much stuff being posted. He's only posted two posts in the past week. You would think he'd be posting like two, three times a day minimum. So I wonder if he's kind of taking a break from bodybuilding, spending time with his family. It's Ramadan right now. Ramadan is a a thing they do once a year for a month where they fast sunrise to sunset. You spend a lot of time with your family during this time and you stay home and you just chill. So I think he's just taking a break from bodybuilding. So it'd be interesting to see if he goes and he starts getting back into bodybuilding again and getting back to try to defend this title. Mobster, what do you thought? So it's, I think you might be right there, Steve, in terms of the Ramadan. And it's something I hadn't considered. In a pre-show, we discussed very briefly. I said, I'll tell you what we, we talked about in a previous podcast. And I said it was going to be a massive issue, is that there so many things come to you when you're in Mr. Olympia. So many opportunities are presented to you. And that's if you're based in the US or, or Europe. But in, 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 in Arabia, again, it is huge. And, we saw just how crazy it was when Big Ramy went back to Egypt, which is, of course, where he's from originally, with the bus, with the car, with the TV shows, with the massive uh, a, a fee that he was asking for to appear on a TV show and stuff like that. And I said to Steve Smee during the podcast that we previously did, one, two, three, that he would have to be very careful not to have a million distractions. It would need a great team on board to, to, to handle stuff. And as I said in this brief show to Steve again, there was stuff like incredibly well-written, which made me think that someone from marketing was doing his stuff on his Instagram. And again, maybe Steve's right, and that's now because of Ramadan. And as soon as Ramadan's over, we'll see Big Ram himself posting. A million distractions, like I'm saying. And sometimes just a gas off the pedal, you know, your foot's off the pedal, the gas is not being pressed as hard. So I, I, I thought to myself, when you're in that situation with a million opportunities and everything else has been going on, and all the issues even that he had getting to Mr. Olympia with getting his family together and the whole COVID thing, et cetera, et cetera. Is it going to be a one-time deal? Are we going to see that Rami hasn't had enough time to get his act together and 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 put the foot back on the gas and become a Mr. Olympia all over again. It's a, it's, it's a potential issue. So, yeah, there you go. I mean, it's just one of those things that might, I mean, if, I'm just putting myself in his shoes. The $400,000, not a big of a deal. The enhanced athlete sponsorship. Okay, I'm guessing somewhere around the $800,000 mark. The opportunity to speak to a dozen, just on the first day, Egyptian newspapers, and then all the stuff in Saudi, where they come back over here, come back over here, whatever else. We've seen very little. If it, I'd actually, I don't go as far as to say no training stuff for two to three months. The stuff that I'm seeing myself on Instagram, I don't think he's writing those things right now. So what the hell? You know, this is a Mr. Olympia. Um, is the foot come off the gas? Is is you know as as I hear, I've got there, I've made it not going to do anything and then suddenly realize I've only got six months to get ready when everybody else has been getting ready for nine months. What, who knows, Steve? Back to you. So got to remember, he did not compete in 2019. We discussed that on the last podcast. He got sixth yeah. in 2018. He got second in 2017. So he regressed. He went from second to sixth the next year to not even being in the Mr. Olympia. And then, and then he jumped to first. So We'll see if he can build consistency for years to come. He's 36 years old. He'll be 37 in mid-September. That's his birthday. He was born in 1984, so he still has years. If he wants to defend this title, he can definitely hit the Mr. Olympia for years Three, to four come. years at least. So let's kind of talk about his steroid use. We can kind of speculate on someone like um, Big Rami, what he uses year-round. Let's get into what he uses year-round. Then we'll talk about his prep. So a couple of the things that he would use year-round, I think, he used HGH, human growth hormone. Now, what is human growth hormone? Human growth hormone, it's something we produce naturally in the body, but it starts dropping off as we age. So now he's 36 years old. He's not going to produce the same growth hormone as he produced when he was in his 20s. He's almost 40. So you've got to make that back somehow if you want to be a top-level bodybuilder, obviously. So HGH, a lot of HGH, guys. 
maybe eight to 15 IUs a day of HGH. It's expensive. It's another good reason why he is where he is because HGH where he is, you can get to access it and it's probably going to be a lot cheaper than if you were to be in the United States and having to go to a pharmacy and get a prescription through an anti-aging clinic where they're going to absolutely rip you off. Well, over there, they can just go and get HGH much, much easier. It's cheaper, obviously. Medi the price of medicine is much less over there. Mobster? Yeah, I was just going to say there's a couple of considerations here. The obvious is the bodybuilding aspect. We, we naturally, when it's worked with steroids, we, everybody pretty much says HGH works better with steroids. The two things combined is going to give you an additional benefit over and above using them singularly. There's also, well, worth mentioning, Quite simply, the, the, the level, and especially I'm thinking again in oxygen gym, the way that the coaches are pushing really hard, he's probably going to always have at that level, pushing to be Mr. Olympia, very small injuries. I don't think we've heard of any real big ones here, no great quad tears or bicep tears. I believe there was a small shoulder issue, which was addressed a couple of years ago, uh, minor surgery, et cetera, et cetera, and growth hormone would have helped with that. But growth hormone is going to have that thing uh, for me. And I'm thinking a little bit more from the strength athletes or more from the actual lifting of weight side of things that Rami does, as well as the rest of the thing that makes you a bodybuilder. The ability for human growth hormone to help with the injuries and the microtrauma. And in his case, for example, having good skin, the anti-aging. And we're going to touch on this a million times, probably in this podcast, quite simply, that at the Olympia level, when you win the Mr. Olympia, the, your body's ability to utilize these drugs without getting too much into the receptor stuff is that little bit better than most people's. So it's going to be literally, you know, if I took 18 units or Steve took 18 units as an example for one of the cycles that was suggested before, would we respond to the same as Rami? And I'm going to say the sole answer to that is no. So your ability to respond to drugs, specifically human growth hormone, is as important as anything else. For most of you guys out there, eighteen I use a day, which was suggested in one of the cycles. That's from the information that was supposed to be relieved, and we discussed in a previous podcast. You would have side effects, guys. You would have issues with carpal tunnel. We'd have issues with water retention. This is a tip-top physique that responds better. It wouldn't necessarily be something that is taken at high levels all the time. Keep these things in mind. And again, this is for educational stuff. We're telling you what we think Rami does versus what we think you should do. But you, Steve. So in his case, yes, those side effects. I would imagine that as he gradually increased the HGH over time, those side effects would be just ignored. Like you would probably get used to the side effects and you really just like get used to it. Be like, oh, I got carpal tunnel, my fingers feel weird. Eh, so what? I got to run this ACH. And at the end of the day, what does ACH do? It's going to help you recover. It's going to help you repair. It's going to help you grow big, really, really big at those dosages. Yeah. So what else do you need with the ACH to help you grow? And that's insulin. And insulin is very, very important at that top level of bodybuilding because you use all that HGH, your blood sugar is going to rise. You need that insulin to drop it back down. And then you get that shuttling effect in the body. So you're able to utilize everything you eat. So HGH and insulin together, definitely something that he would use year round. He'd probably use a much less insulin, maybe use insulin twice a day only maybe five IUs only twice a day with his two biggest meals. And then once he got into ahead of the competition and he's trying to grow, 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 and then cut back down, he would cut off the insulin. But ahead of the competition, he'd probably increase the frequency of that insulin. And a lot of these pro bodybuilders, they don't use a short acting insulin. They use a long acting insulin. So when you use that long-acting insulin, as soon as you get up, you start using that insulin and until you go to sleep. So during that time, your feeding window is the whole day. So in that whole day, when you have that feeding window of eating, you're going to want to eat frequently. So he's eating every hour or two. He's stuffing himself because he wants that insulin <clears throat> to not cause him to go hypoglycemic. So he's got to keep his blood sugar up by taking all that food. Now during Ramadan, because he said he, he celebrates Ramadan, 
Obviously, he's not going to be running the insulin during the day. He'd probably run the short-acting insulin before his meal, before sunrise. And then he would take the insulin before his meal, after his meal, before bed, or vice versa. So he would take the insulin around his meals because if he took his insulin throughout the day and he was fasting, then he would go hypoglycemic and he doesn't want that. So that's that's how he would we could speculate these, that's how these guys do it in the Middle East who celebrate Ramadan. I'm just going to jump in here. For, uh, the main issue here, really, is, 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 is <laughs> we've touched on this in previous podcasts, it's the number of injections per day. It would drive me to Lally. It would really drive me crazy. Because if Steve's correct, and I think Steve is, it's going to come down to <laughs> how many meals per day and how many jabs of insulin per day when he's at that kind of peak point in the cycle when he's, he's putting on the size, he's getting just about ready to sort of start getting into competition shape. And the competition cycle might differ a little bit here. So it's kind of the idea that, for example, that you're potentially using five IUs per meal. I know, and again, I discussed this with Steve in the pre-show, that there are stories coming out from the oxygen gym, the way that the guys do things over there. And one of those stories, which was covered, in an issue of muscular development, the most recent issue, and we addressed in a podcast that we just recorded, was the, the in fact, I can also think of uh, at least uh, Nathan Asher saying the same sort of thing, that they 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 will train you in a gym, Steve, and then there, there's a meal prep company that Oxygen have done a deal with, and these guys, the, train, the, the athletes, are living real, right nearby, so the food is kind of delivered to your door knock 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 it's meal number three knock 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 it's meal number four and that's how it's done right so this food is fresh it's cooked like you know quarter of a mile away and brought to the guys with the apartments where some of them are staying above the gym or some are staying next door to the gym in the apartments real nearby like walking distance and and the food is there and there was one particular story where the coach comes around he sees that this meal's not been eaten because one of the guys has been you know on whatsapp or, or zoom or something talking to the family and he says oh you haven't eaten meal number three and he gets on the phone and another meal number three is delivered and the meal number three that was there was thrown in the bin because it's not fresh that's how anal they are about getting the food right now can you imagine that if you're doing the kind of levels that we're talking about here it's meal prepped food being delivered specifically for that particular athlete and it's bang Another jab of insulin, mate. I, I, I don't know if I drive me out. I like what I do, but I don't know if that I'd want to be sticking a needle in me four, five, six times a day if they're if they're doing this at this level uh, to, to have that much insulin. You've got, really got to be comfortable with having a needle going into the skin. And uh, it would drive me absolutely crazy, Steve. I don't think I can handle it. I mean, I don't do a lot of gear anyway. We know that from everything else I've said on the forums and and on his podcast, but the idea of sticking an insulin needle into myself five, six times a day, regardless of the IUs, it would drive me absolutely crazy. How well, these guys, yeah, okay I mean, they're definitely pin cushions, man. But at the end of the day, a lot of these guys, they use a long acting insulin. So the long acting insulin, they don't have to inject the insulin so often. So mm. but it's a risk. It's a risk because you have to make sure you're continuously eating because you can go hypoglycemic. You've got to make sure you've always have a sugary drink on hand like a sugary mm, sports mm. drink or you know grape juice or jam or something like that because you can end up hurting yourself but you know these guys they they it's an obsession man it's an obsession i've been there done that i've been there done that it really sucks i couldn't take it you know i couldn't handle the stress of of, of using insulin so i did not enjoy it at all for me but hey, you got to do what you got to do. Now, besides HGH and insulin, what else is he running year round? Testosterone. He's definitely running testosterone. Yeah. How much is he cruising with year round? I mean, gosh, I've, I've interviewed guys like Moss and Lloyd, and they cruise on over 500, 750 milligrams a week of testosterone. So if they're doing that, imagine these guys at this level. You know, they're, they're cruising. They, he could be cruising over a thousand milligrams a week of testosterone. Um, I don't think he's running Tremblone uh, year round. I think Tremblone no. is a little too harsh. I think it's possible he could be running something like Deca year round. Deca is really good for the joints. I think he could be running that maybe 500 milligrams, a thousand milligrams of Deca year round. And I think also he, he's probably running Proviron year round. 
The Proviron is uh, very low side effects, like no side effects, and it can give you, you know, good, good hardening benefits year round. It can bind to SHBG, can enhance what you're already on. So I also think it's a good chance he's running 50, maybe 100 milligrams of Proviron every day as well. What else do you think he's using year round? Mobster, do you I'm think he's using any myostatins year round or anything else? I'm going to jump back in very, very quickly and just adjust the deck of things. So very quickly, guys, something that I've mentioned a, a million times on a forum, if I don't exaggerate it's a million times, DECA is, has mild collagen synthesis when it's done in the labs and the studies and whatever else. Uh, the, the issue probably here is that we would be running something year-round, and DECA is the obvious one, to help them feel comfortable with regards to joint issues. But I, I mean, how they're going to feel when they come off, if you've got any outstanding issues or aggravated shoulder, elbow, wrist, whatever, treat it, rehab it, fix it. The problem with, of course, being this pro-level bodybuilder and having to train the way that you do it, and sometimes specifically because you're contracted to do so, because you've got this obsession, because you want to be the champion, because you want to be Mr. Olympia, like I said earlier on, with these niggling little injuries, just for pushing the envelope all the time, Decker's going to make you feel comfortable doing so. But really, is it fixing the issue? No, it is not. Let's get on to the myostatin stuff here. Right, so there are products out there that suggest that they inhibit myostatin. Now, something Steve Smith and I agree when we post about this stuff on the forums is the issue with a myostatin inhibitor is it there isn't anything to the best of our knowledge that is specifically selective. And what you really want, of course, is something that only inhibits myostatin in muscle tissue. What you don't want is something that inhibits myostatin full stop. So if we go, for example, the heart is a muscle. There is a potential issue, for example, with essentially, and to use a euphemism here, if you unlock the gate that allows everything to grow, not just muscle, then you're unlocking the gate for a bunch of other things that cause problems. And in the animals that we know that exist, or the, the beasts that exist in the animal kingdom that do have low levels of myostatin because of their natural breeding, et cetera, et cetera, they have issues. The double muscle cow, the Belgian blue, these animals don't last a long time. They look like freaks from out of space with double layers of muscle kind of folding over onto itself and very thin skin, et cetera, et cetera. But I believe they have breathing issues, heart issues, and they don't last the same length of time as an, another bull or another cow from, from a, a different breed. So keep that in mind. Now, is there access? I think there is. I think specifically in the Middle East, and again, I'm thinking of one particular story that seems to stick in the back of my brain somewhere, that there was a suggestion that the, again, the main oxygen gym, there's a pharmacy literally just up the road. The guy, there's a very friendly pharmacist and a doctor there. These guys can get scripts. Of course, they, have, they might actually have issues with TRT. They might actually have issues with the sheer amount of testosterone that they've taken so that their own natural production is non-existent. But obviously what we're talking about is script levels that allow them to take these kind of crazy amounts that we're talking about. So there's a suggestion that there's a pharmacist just up the road where these guys can go visit and get what they, everything they need. And that's going to include peptides. And it's probably going to include something like, and I'm looking at a number here, GDF8 as one of the myostatin blocking peptides that might be out there that might be useful. But again, it's well worth mentioning. We're talking about a fractions of a percentage gain here because a lot of the, with, with these guys are not going from 300 pound to 500 pound. They're not suddenly unlocking something to the point where muscle keeps on growing and growing and growing. So I suspect what it really is, there's a bunch of stuff in the body that blocks the drugs that they're using. So you get a small gain here. And that might be, for example, five pounds. Now, when you're 300 pounds and you're able to add five pounds of new tissue because you was already right at your genetic limit, Five pounds is five pounds, guys. That's a 305 pound athlete or 310 pound athlete on stage. And what, what, you know, that's only a couple of a percent difference. If you look at the from 300 pounds, 2% would be 306 pounds. That, that's a good gain on a guy that's already at an advanced level. So, yeah, I think there's stuff out there for sure, but it's not going to suddenly turn 200 pound guys into 400 pound guys. If you're an average physique of 
if you're just a normal guy drove going down a gym, if you, you weigh 180 pounds, let's let's say that's the average gym user, you're not going to turn into a 270 or 280 pound freak. Not unless you've got this kind of genetics, and that's got nothing to do with a myostatin inhibiting peptide. Yeah, back to you, Steve. So let's get into kind of what he would take because there were some rumors going in mm. about the a mobster I mentioned it about the oxygen gym and that sort of thing yeah. that they leaked some cycles. So let's kind of play around with this and see what would beg Rami Lee. Now he's coming off of the Ramadan. This is, it's, it's this month we're, we're, uh, we're filming this podcast and in, in uh, you know, late April, early May Ramadan's about over. Um, yeah. I think in another week or two, uh, two, two weeks, three weeks, um, Ramadan will be over. So what would he now, he went through his fasting he lost a lot of water. A lot of water came out of his body. He, he rebooted his system during the fast. And then now he wants to start prepping for his next show. Now, hypothetically, let's say his next show was in the next couple, uh, like three months, three, 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 four months. Okay. Maybe four yeah. months. Let's go four months. So he's going to run four months. So he's going to run a, a 12, 16 week cycle leading into his competition. So how would he do it? So, Monster, I'll bring you in. Now, one, right off the bat, if he's going to be running testosterone, he's probably going to be running a shorter ester testosterone, propionate, because he wants to have that flexibility where he can stop taking it three, four weeks ahead of his competition, and it'll be out of his system. This way he can dry out and harden up. He won't be fluffy. Because if he goes into the competition fluffy, he's screwed. You know, everything, all his hard work is for nothing. So, right off the bat, He's going to be running probably, I don't know, gosh, 500, 1,000 milligrams per day of testosterone propionate. And then ahead of the competition a few weeks, he's going to shut it off and run the other stuff. HGH, we talked about HGH and insulin. He's going to be running. He's going to be jacking up his HGH dosage into the 20s and into the 30s IUs. He's going to be running insulin, the long-acting insulin, and then more short-acting insulin. Uh, before his meals to get that partitioning effect for him not taking the insulin is a waste that meal is a waste and they want to basically get every meal in their body shuttled into the muscles they want to take advantage of every single meal and that's what the hgh and insulin effect does so if they're not taking the hgh and insulin they're freaked out. And if they're missing a meal, oh my God, let's freak out. So those are the three things. It's the insulin, the HGH and the food, the food, those three together. That's how these guys get so massive. That's how big Rami becomes 300 pound, big Rami from 200 pound, big Rami in a short amount of time. So what else mobster do you think that he would use ahead of his competition? I think exactly what Steve said already. I mean, there's going to be probably next to no PEDs during Ramadan. Next to no, none of these other pre, pre, previously mentioned drugs, uh, especially with the longer acting stuff that Steve Steve has already mentioned. So I, I would, this is another reason why I think we might not have seen pictures online that are kind of recent. So I reckon 20 to 30 pounds down, but he'll get back 20 pounds of that really, really quickly whether it's long acting or slow acting, it will blow up and the glycogen stores will fill up. And the the transformation in the first few weeks will be enormous. An obvious drug is, Steve, would be switching from, for example, previously suggested trenbolone infinite to trenbolone acetate. I mean, of course, this is a drug that's quite hard, harsh, hard, never mind, it's harsh for, for many users. And when you talk about these kind of numbers, there's a bunch of guys there that are runtering, no matter what the form is, and they will tell you that the numbers that they think guys like Big Remy, but 500 milligrams a day, for example, as a suggested amount, run, they could barely get their head around the fact that they, they, were, they were doing 500, 600, 700 milligrams a week, and they hated how they felt, but their muscle gains were amazing. The idea that someone like Rami might potentially be running 500 milligrams a day, regardless of the form, but in this particular example, as a shorter active version, they can't get their heads around it. How the hell did it, how I felt like hell when I was doing it versus this? Oh, no, 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 no. But again, we were talking about this high level athlete, and he might even include the ability to deal with some of the issues of trend. Maybe, and this is an obvious example here, Steve, if you're not around your wife and or girlfriend, and or girlfriend for that matter, 
and the family, if you're, you know, kind of hibernating over at the training camp that Oxygen Gym becomes, and if once you come out of the gym, all you're doing is playing on PlayStation or Xbox and eating your food, maybe you can handle the side effects of trend. Maybe having that sort of monk-like attitude enables you to get deal with it. Obvious one here, for example, again, Steve, would be something like mastronacetate. Because as I said already, you're going from a, 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 a the, the, even if you didn't do Ramadan, as we say, and Rami would have done as an Islamic, as his Muslim bodybuilder, which we know he is, he's told, he's told people he is, you'd still want some kind of timeout. And I can think of two athletes specifically that won the Mystery Olympia that were having timeout uh, uh, after competition, three months. And because of Ramadan, because of the forced situation with COVID, et cetera, because of all the distractions I mentioned earlier on, I think Rami's in that, in, in that particular group. So coming back into condition, gaining back some of your, your losses, muscle memory is a great thing, blowing up really, really, really quickly, and then kind of getting to, especially in that last 12 weeks, the complete and utter focus that's required to be a high-level athlete, never mind Mr. Olympia. You're also going to want to harden up, and Mastron is a great hardener, so that's that stuff there. Oral Anavar, this is one of my own personal favourites for the shrimp gains. Probably right up with a D bowl, which recently did uh, both both these drugs separately. Uh, first part of a cycle, later part of a cycle, which I know was great for me. I wouldn't want to run oral drugs at 100 milligrams a day, but again, we're talking about a superior for the ear with great genetics and the ability to deal with this stuff. And let's be honest, Steve. Rolling the dice in terms of the potential for side effects. Uh, whether he's using a product like N2 Guard as an organ protector or whether he's running a bunch of other drugs that we're not discussing as a way of keeping his body healed and looking after his organs, or whether, as I say, and that's what I suspect to be the truth, not giving a damn and rolling the dice and hoping that he's not going to have injuries, which is what I suspect a lot of top professional bodybuilders do. And of course, we've seen these issues from time to time with people. It's kind of like, well, I don't care because I want to be Mr. Olympia. I don't care because I want to be a top athlete. And, you know, it's not the right attitude. Our listeners, the people that read what we do on forums, are, for the most part, normal Joes that train in the gym. So you can't, we should never have, um, say, okay, go out and run on oral 100 milligrams a day on top of everything else that you're doing and then not protect your organs. That would be absolutely crazy. And we know of enough examples where this is a really, really bad idea. Now, whether Rabbi could get away with stuff like that, that's down to his genetics, that's down to his family background. If any of those family got, for example, liver and kidney issues, then I, I would want him to do something like this, but for very short periods of time. But I'm not a great fan of kickstarts and finishes, that may be something like this, but for short periods of time at the beginning of the cycle, just as a way of blowing up in terms of giving you the strength on top of the trend and on top of everything else that you're doing. What about you, Steve? What do you think about the Winstroll? So Winstroll is definitely something he'd be upping into the competition. It gives a good drying effect, dries you out. Um, in bodybuilding competition, guys, if you go on stage and you're, you look fluffy, I mean, they'll laugh at you off stage. If you ever go to a competition and uh, people are rough. I mean, people, people are rough. Like I've been to these competitions before guys go on stage, they look fluffy and got the crowd is not, I mean, you can tell the energy in the crown. They just don't even clap when the person's finished. You cannot look fluffy um, and then after the person gets off stage you hear murmurs like people talking to the person next to them be like why is this guy even competing blah 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 but they don't understand a lot of people in the audience don't understand it's not the guy that the guy isn't in great shape it's not that he's in great condition it's not that he's not muscular it's not that he's not lean it's just that he's puffy because he fucked up he ran that he he ran the wrong stuff at the wrong time mm -hmm. So yeah. he was running too much aromatizing compounds and not enough of the drying compounds. And that imbalance causes you to look fluffy on stage. Jump in, Mobster. Yeah, so what's happened in the last couple of years is we've seen ex-Mystery Olympians and high-level athletes of yesteryear, and I'm only talking about going back 10 years here, Steve, talking about the condition of the athletes for the last four, five, six years. 
And essentially what they're saying is these guys are coming in too full. I mean, Steve calls it fluffy. Rami is a good example. Steve read out at the beginning the, the positions and scorings that uh, Rami was getting. And it was kind of up and down. And the argument against Rami was always, uh, we should have been dry. It should have been dry. Oh, but he, oh it's going to be 300 pounds. It's going to be 290 pounds. And it was, oh, it's great. And this is what was one of the things, the, the, the argument was that the Saudi thing was coming big. So you had a bunch of athletes, Roly Winkler, Nathan Diasha, et cetera, that were coming out of uh, the oxygen gym camp, looking absolutely amazing, but not placing quite as high as they should have done. What did Rami do this year or last year, specifically for the Mystery Olympia, and hopefully he would do this year, is it's not necessarily about coming in as big as possible. So again, the, 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 the drugs that we're talking about here, and it's a suggestion again for what got him to the Mystery Olympia, is being drier, quite simply having more detail. Some of his poses, he looked like he had a veto, but some of his poses, he looked like he had a fat stomach. Some of the stuff he was doing, he was just holding his poses, but he was a better athlete, more conditioned athlete, working with Dennis James on his posing, practicing stuff, looking great on stage, looking like he was having a hell of a time, but specifically coming in a, a tiny bit under, he could have come on, I believe he was about 290, 295, and he could quite easily probably come on stage at 300, but those five pounds would have been water. Those five pounds would have been a loss of detail. And, and that's, that's what we're talking about here. There was the difference between being as big as he possibly can, as opposed to being a big but very conditioned athlete. And it's a, it's a fine balancing act that a lot of athletes get wrong. And you can find a bunch of really, really good uh, bodybuilders and go back to some of the early uh, competitions. And when the size and shape hasn't changed that much, but the conditions just got better and they've learned their stagecraft, they've learned how to get in shape for competition. Quick side uh, tip here, and it's something that I've addressed a couple of times. When guys are talking about on the forums, and we've got a couple of logs I can think right now on Evo where that's happening, where the guys are talking about doing a competition, qualifying for uh, you know a national standard uh, qualifier in the States, I think of one particular example, and, and another one that came up on the thread this morning, and I said, run the cycle now. See how you respond now. See how long you can leave certain drugs in and take certain drugs out. It's really, really, really difficult to get that right the first time. And Rami is a good example. He is a bloke that could, on paper, have won the Mystery Olympia three, three, four years ago. But for whatever reason, and Steve just covered it, wasn't quite there, wasn't quite, you know, came out, people got all his expectations, and then he wasn't quite the athlete that we were waiting for. Every single person, Chris Aceto, Dave Palumbo, a bunch of other people doing podcasts and saying exactly the same thing. He needs to come in at 275, but dry. He needs to come in 280, but in condition. And this wasn't happening. We was getting those massive quads, broad shoulders, et cetera, that we was expecting with Rebbe, but we wasn't quite seeing the condition. So a drug like the Winstroll as a way of getting rid of the water, the Masteron as a hardener. And I'll, I'll, I'll touch on the next one for us, Steve, the T3, the thyroid drugs. I, again, for most people, Thyroid drugs mess you up. If you run wrong or you run too high or they run too long or you're using a combination of thyroid drugs and drugs that affect your thyroid and, and clean blue rolls right up there as well, you can mess up your thyroid. You can have potential problems. Then you can actually get your body that responds really well this time around and it doesn't respond at all like it's supposed to and you have to take a completely different approach or maybe just go old school and actually diet and, and, and do your cardio. Uh, and, and let's get to the last one, Steve. I mean, diuretics. Big problems, but I would say every single athlete out there is doing them. What do you think? Diuretics, this is where you need a coach. Now, a lot of guys think, all oh, these pro bodybuilders, they must know about all these compounds <laughs> and how to manipulate their body, all this stuff. Guys, even any sport, professional athletes, hockey, football, soccer any of these sports they have coaches and the coaches help the players do well the coaches can't play the sport if you put up if you put all the coaches on the field 
and could you imagine like hockey can you uh-huh. imagine the coaches going actually on the hockey rink and playing hockey and how it's awkward so that would look it'd be hilarious oh yeah could you imagine in football the coaches you know no. the 50 60 Fat. 70 year old coaches putting on uh uh shoulder pads and helmets and going on and out of condition no no no, yeah. no so it's the players aren't that smart they need coaching so in bodybuilding it's it's even more pronounced than that yeah and the coaches help the bodybuilders manipulate their water, manipulate these diuretics, manipulate these drugs. It's, it's, it's drug warfare. I was told it was drug warfare by some of the pro bodybuilder coaches out there. You've got these guys who are so genetically gifted, but if you can nail down everything, including the diuretics, including drawing out properly ahead of a show, that is the key. And that's where a coach with experience doing this stuff can help you. So now if you just go in on your own and you want to play around with diuretics, you'll do more harm than good. You'll go on stage and look worse. So it's amazing how when they're on stage, they are peaking right at that minute. It's down to the minute when they're peaking. It's an art, you know, 24 hours prior, they were not ready to go on stage. They were not peaking. But then to that minute, 24 hours later, they're peaking. And, you know, you can go on YouTube or whatever and watch videos on this stuff. They literally are injecting themselves with all kinds of diuretics and peptides and eating jam and drinking, you know, sports drinks to get their sugar manipulated and their salts manipulated. It is crazy all the things they do and only an experienced coach can help you so big rami has the best coaching yes. they help him look top shape he hires the best coaches for sure and you mentioned chris Acido. i've interviewed him on the podcast one of the best coaches out there very smart guy not because he's a great coach i'm saying he's a smart guy but i've actually i talked to him off the podcast so we had this discussion. mobster too you're a smart guy we talk off the podcast you can tell when someone's just very very intelligent person and, you know, Mercedes, one of the most intelligent guys out there. So that's just why bodybuilders pay big money to have Chris Zito, uh coach them because they know Chris Zito, he's a smart guy and he knows what the hell he's talking about. But Chris Zito is not going to go on stage and win competitions, but he's a brilliant coach. So it's different coaching and actually doing it is two, two different things. Yeah, this is something I talk, I address this quite often, right? I said, I, I don't necessarily consider myself incredibly well informed when it comes to the drug side of bodybuilding, but I'm quite the logical guy. So, for example, and I'll, I'll use this as a very quick analogy for our listeners. I go, let's say that I decide I'm going to train for, uh, I'm going to do a lot more volume. In fact, this, this is actually the particular aim of my next training cycle. So I've been doing very, very low reps to hit certain weights. And, okay, what worked for me when I did this What programs work for me in the past and that's what i do that's how i think there's a bunch of guys that i've trained with recently during the whole lockdown thing and they, they they've got diet coaches training coaches the same guys i'm like guys some of what he's telling you you should know for yourself if, how do i know these things i don't have a coach because i think like a coach and I, i'm able to separate myself if you like what do i want to do in the gym and then I go away and think like, so right, what drugs are going to work? What training programs going to work? What worked for me in the past? What's going to work for me again? What food do I need to eat? And that's how I think. And in fact, there are a few. I think James Collins had quite a good bodybuilder here in the UK who kind of thinks like that. But again, even then, they will still have coaches. Uh, Chris Aceto was a decent bodybuilder, but never going to win the Mr. Olympia back the day when he was when I believe, dating or married to Laura Cravel. There are photographs of them in a couple of poses. And he had a great physique, but he was never going to win Mr. Olympia. But his thought process and how he approaches these kind of things is quite good. That's specifically what we're probably looking at here at this particular level is that we're not dealing with the emotions of an athlete. We're not dealing with their desires or whatever else. What we're saying is, listen, eat this now. And in two hours time, you're going to look like this. You're going to you take this pill now. In two hours time, you're going to be down four pounds on water. You're going to feel like beating up dog shit but you're going to be dry. And then when I, when I give you this water, I just want you to sip it. And I'm going to stand there and watch and make sure that you only sip it. 
you're going to go on the stage and be thirsty. You're going to go on stage and probably feel really bad, slightly out of breath, low on glycogen. You're going to feel, oh, man, I'm struggling here. But you're going to look amazing. The moment you come off stage, you're going to have this to eat. You're going to, you're going to, going to go and have a pee. I know you're going to go and have a pee because you don't need to have a pee because of the stuff that we give you earlier on. I know that this takes four hours to work. I know that it takes six hours to work. The other thing you're going to have, which a coach can do, is, again, your thought processes and how you feel on stage, they're not really going to be tipped up because of the whole dieting, training, and being on stage and being hot and being thirsty. I wouldn't want you to make, like, you know, life-saving decisions here. I wouldn't want to go get you to invest money. You're going to kind of feel really, really bad. But your coach, he feels great, and he's got his shit together, and he's got your plan worked out. And hopefully you start to work with you, you know how your body responds. So he goes... I'm dealing with a, 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 an athlete that's moody, he's tired, he's kind of beaten up, he's thirsty, but I'm going to do this, this and this, and we're going to kick ass and we're going to win. And that's what you're paying for. Steve's quite correct. It's another thing as well, regardless of what kind of athlete you are and whether you're a big Remy or whether you're a nice hockey player or whatever else, it, to, to be that well-paid, to be a national standard or international standard kind of athlete, if you've not got someone on board with your $10 million contract, like a physio, if you've not got someone that's prepping your food or nutritionist on board or a, a, a training coach or someone that works with you for your rehab, if you're not just working with the strength and conditioning coaches that are part of the team and, and, and a play coach, for example, with American football, you're missing a trick. You are missing a trick. And it might make you a 1% or 2% better athlete, but that gets your contract renewed. That gets you to play the big game. It gets you back on the pitch and the court more often and on the ice more often than the other guys that are taking long to recover. And at this level, with $400,000 just for the, for the prize money, the deal quite often is that the uh, coach is getting 20%. So he's picking up $80,000 just for, for getting you ready for the competition. And it's not unusual, I'm thinking of Neil Hill, to get percentages of contracts that they get for you or other competition wins. It depends on the arrangement that you've got. So, for example, I'll, I'll quote uh, Flex Lewis. I think there was a little bit of joshing going on. But in a recent video that uh, Flex put together, Neil Hill's training, he says he's the highest paid coach in the industry and he's still got holes in his stock. So there was a bit of joking going on. But... There's the reality that Neil was getting a percentage of the wins. Neil was getting a percentage of the contracts. And that was for the two or three athletes that he was working with. So, yeah. The, you, and again, like I said already, and I'm thinking of myself as an example, and Steve, Steve will understand and appreciate this. When we're, to, to coin a phrase, smashing a granny, it's a phrase we use here in the UK, uh, draining really, really hard and dieting and taking all these drugs, in order to get to this tip-top level that we're talking about, you do not feel great. You're not in the best shape of making big decisions, life decisions, especially any guy that's used a trend will tell you that there's some bad decision-making that sometimes takes place. So you've got all this kind of stuff going on. You need a coach to guide you and to make these decisions. As an example, you're going to have an athlete standing in front of the mirror three days out from a competition, not feeling great, glycogen's all over the place, depleted to hell. They don't see in the mirror what the rest of us are going to see. That's when a hard-assed prep coach is just going to be analytical. He's going to look at the other athletes. He's going to look at their Instagram. He's going to say, that, can we beat these other guys? But what do we need to do? We've got 72 hours to go. I can do this to him. I can do that to him. Right. This is what we're going to do. And they'll, they'll be making those kind of decisions for you. And that's that's what they're there for. That's what you're paying them for. I think the only fact, issue here, Steve, which we see quite a lot of, is how often athletes change their coaches, prep coaches, diet coaches, PED coaches, whatever. This happens a lot. But more often than not, it's because the athlete hasn't done the work that they should have done and listened to their prep coach as much as it is anything else. So, yeah, the diuretic thing, I'll address that again. It's something that a proper coach who knows their stuff would be best for because you can mess it up. 
badly, you can end up holding water. You can take stuff that's short acting and think of it as long acting. You've got guys that was going, I'm waiting for the water to come off and I took more. And then literally the drug start, the first dose of the drug started to take effect. And now they're screwed because they've just taken another dose. And we've heard of stuff like that happen. And of course, because those were cramping. And worst case, as has happened at least two or three times, top level athletes dying backstage just after the competition or whatever. So it's not something that you want to mess up. 90% of the drugs that we're talking about here, I mean, it's very insulin you can fuck up, of course, but pretty much everything else, you can do nasty things to your body long-term, but the diuretics and insulin are stuff that you can kind of screw up and end up in hospital or worse. Uh, and you need to get that stuff taken properly, used properly, and especially with someone that you trust who knows their stuff. Uh, so, you know, if, if you're serious about becoming a Mr. Olympia type bodybuilder, as Big Remy is, then you're going to want a really, really good coach. And the guys they've got in Saudi and the guys, okay, Neil Hill, Chris Aceto, et cetera, these are tip-top guys. They're in, in a, you know, you could probably name the top 10 coaches in bodybuilding. Uh, Meadows is another example. John Meadows. So, and again, even with Rami working with Dennis James, and there's a there's a bodybuilder that's still got some muscle on him, which is rare at this level of coaching. So that's four I can think off the top of my head, and there's probably another few that other guys could name. And these guys, to, to you know, to put it bluntly, know their shit, and they've and for the most part, they've done the same thing. These are all guys that have competed and got into good shape, whether they won the Mr. Olympia or not. They got into very very good shape, very dry and they know their stuff, and they're still with us. So fingers crossed they've got their, their finger on the pulse in terms of being just on this right side of it staying safe. Back to you, Steve. All right, guys, that sums it up, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed this. <clears throat> we went over a lot of the steroids. I think at the end of the day, HGH, insulin, Tremblone, testosterone, Anadrol, Winstrol, Masteron, those are the big ones. Those are the big ones in today's bodybuilding that guys are using. And then they're messing around with a lot of different peptides. They're messing around with a lot of things to manipulate the way they go into the show. But besides going into the show, if you don't have that muscle and you're not lean going into the show, you can manipulate your salts, your sugars, everything, all you want in your water. You can manipulate all you want, but if you don't go into the competition with muscle and with being low body fat, you're screwed, you know? So don't just focus on that part. You got to have all of it in line. And it takes a lot of trial and error and it takes hiring a coach to help you go through it, a confident coach. Cause there's obviously a lot of incompetent coaches, even at the any professional level, there's going to be incompetent mm -hmm. coaches. So that's, that's it guys. Hope you guys enjoy this. And uh, that sums it up guys. And uh, I'll let mobster finish up with a disclaimer. Don't forget, guys, we're not doctors and everything we talk about in these podcasts is our opinion and our opinion only. It is our view and it's based on experience and the knowledge that we bring to this subject, views that we have, working with you guys on the forums and the, and the years of experience that we've got in the gym. Our podcasts are for information, in, informational and educational purposes only. It's entertainment and the freedom of speech and the First Amendment applies. Thank you very much.